Hello and welcome to the 1st October edition of Podularity, the online books programme that brings you authors and books in a pod. This month marks the second anniversary of the programme, and I'm delighted to say that this is the first in a series of interviews to be sponsored by Blackwell Online, which you can find at blackwell.co.uk. My guest this week is Ruth Richardson, whose book, The Making of Mr Grey's Anatomy, is published in paperback this month. Grey's Anatomy has been in print continuously since its first publication in 1858. It's currently in its 40th edition. Grey has become synonymous with his subject in the same way that Roger has with the thesaurus. But, as Ruth Richardson's fascinating book makes clear, Grey's Anatomy was in fact the work of two very different men. Henry Grey, who wrote the text, and Henry Carter, who provided the illustrations, arguably the part of the book which was most remarkable in its day, and did most to ensure the book's enduring appeal. I began by asking Ruth about that appeal. I think it's probably like the Oxford English Dictionary, you know, it's one of these books which everybody knows the title. They don't necessarily know what's in it or why yes. they know the title. And I feel that it's rather the same with the images in there. I am not a medic, I'm a historian, but I knew those images long before I knew anything about the history of the book. They're just part of our visual culture. And when I came to look at it, I realized that they were very, very modern and new and unusual. And really, it was the illustrations that sold the book. It's one of those books which has become a brand name, really, isn't it? And yes. it's, it's been sort of dissociated from it, the, the original context of its creation, uh, yes. so that people probably don't know very much about that. Yes, that's absolutely right. I mean, I, I should think for the period that it was written, the nearest equivalent is something like Das Kapital or, um, let's have a think, Mrs. Beaton's. Possibly Mrs. Beaton's is a better analogy because that was a kind of encyclopedic textbook which has gone into many, many editions. But it's still familiar from its Victorian editions, not just the modern ones. You know, there's been lots of modern reprints, but really the old pictures and things like that are still known. So I think probably the parallel is closer to that. Tell me a bit about the two men, because I think one of the most important things to come across from your book is that Grey's Anatomy was not the work of one man, but very much the work of two men. So tell me about these two men, Henry Grey and Henry Carter, who created this work. They're both very interesting men. The most important thing to know about Grey is that there's no papers or any diaries or anything that I've been able to discover, Mm. sadly. So it's very, very hard to get close to his personality and to give his voice in the in the matter. I mean, the text is his in the book, but you can't get anywhere near him as a as a sort of biographer, which I suppose I am in a way now. There was no way I could get anywhere near him as a person except through handwriting evidence, and there's a couple of photographs. The other man, Henry Henry Carter, Henry Van Dyke Carter, who did the illustrations, is much more easily accessible because his diaries survive. And uh, he had a longer life as well. The reason Gray has no papers is that he died of smallpox. Possibly, I think, what happened is that they burned everything that he touched. He, he didn't just have smallpox. He had a terrible kind of smallpox called confluent smallpox, which... It's just the most terrible way to die. It isn't that quick. It takes about a week to kill you, and it's really awful. And nobody else anywhere near him in Belgravia wanted anything to do with it. And I think probably they cleaned everything out and burnt everything he touched. 
And this was at an early age. He was in his early 30s, wasn't he? He was only 34. It was a couple of years. The first edition of, the, of Grave came out in 1858. He bought the second edition out in 1860, and he died in 1861. And by contrast, Carter had a, had a, a relatively had a long life. He had a very interesting life, yes. Carter had a very long and very interesting life. He's younger than Gray. He, he's 24 when they start, when, where Gray's 28. And I think that's quite a significant difference between the two of them. He was socially inferior to Gray, and he was uh, from the provinces, so he wasn't even a Londoner. You know, th- mm. There were l- a number of things which put him at a disadvantage. Yeah. And he was also poorer than Gray and just didn't have the contacts and support that Gray had. Gray had um, a mentor within the hospital. They, they were both working at St. George's Hospital when it was at Hyde Park Corner. And Gray had the mentor of Sir Benjamin Brodie, who was a really big fish, not just at St. George's, but in the country as a medic He was and, and as a scientist. He was um, president of the Royal Society, and he was the first president of the GMC, the General Medical Council, when it was first founded. Very important figure. And he was always rooting for Gray. And I think advising him and behind him in every step of his career, whereas Carter didn't have that and mm. actually wouldn't have wanted it because he came from a non-conformist background, non-conformist um, in religion and uh, not Church of England. I think he was a Congregationalist, but rather from an evangelical branch of Congregationalism. Basically, the, the English non-conformists behave in such a way that you have to have your own dignity and you have to make your own way on your own on your own merits you yeah. don't pull strings and you don't bribe or you know you don't use social networking in a corrupt manner whereas i think i wouldn't say it was corrupt but it was certainly it certainly worked towards favoritism yes and that's how the london hospitals lived in those days that's how they were run in those days it was who you knew I mean, you say you say something very interesting about the whole way in which medicine was changing, because you say that Gray sort of represented the older school, you know, patronage, yeah. funds, background, connections, yeah. whereas yeah. Carter was much more about personal ability and and effort and and getting there by you know by pulling Absolutely. yourself up. Absolutely, I mean, Carter is a is a product of meritocracy, mm. whereas Gray is not. Gray is a, is a product of patronage, yeah. and Gray knew which strings to pull when. I mean, he's always ahead of the game because he's got advice from somewhere else, you know, mm. someone who's done it ahead of him. Mm. Whereas Carter, is, he, 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 he succeeds in different ways, but he's more likely to do it by examination and yeah. by hard work. Whereas Gray does it by knowing, you know, a person who's a, another doctor who works for the Duke of Sutherland. You know, it's that sort of thing. Yeah. It's quite a different way of working. And Car- uh, Gray's intention in life, I think, was to be the top surgeon for Belgravia, and whereas Carter left St. George's, left England, and entered the East India Company, which was then just being taken over by the government and being opened up, this is after the Indian mutiny in India, just being opened up to competitive examination. And that's what he did. He took the examination, he got through, and off he went. And he went to look after the poor in in Bombay, as it was then known. 
I wondered, besides this being a fascinating story in its own right, if part of the motivation for you in writing it was to redress an injustice, because it's very clear Gray's name is the name which is associated with the book. Gray's name is the name which is large on the title page. And the more you read your book, the more you discover how really quite um, shabbily Gray treated Carter. Even to, one yes. of the most telling moment, I think, is when Gray amends a proof of the title page. And I, so I wondered if, if that, if that, if you could tell me a little bit about that. And also, <laughs> was that was that something at the back of your sort of driving you on? You know, that you wanted to to, to set Carter's, um, you know, set his his stock where it, where it rightfully belongs. Yes, I, I, I agree with you. I think part of the story is to to redress an injustice. I do agree with you. That was a large part of my motivation. Not to put Gray down at all, but to say, look, there were two people who did this work, and that the second one is hardly known. And actually, his contribution to the book, I think, is the more significant. Mm. And that's particularly the case when you see the reviews when the book first comes out. There's a, yeah. a, there are two brilliant reviews in The Lancet and the BMJ, and then the Medical Times gives a real, what you would call a bummer, mm. <laughs> terrible, terrible review saying that the, the text is basically plagiarized from the major textbook of the day called Quain. And actually, it does come from other sources, too. That isn't to say that, that Quain didn't use other people's work. When he wrote his textbook, he did. Anatomy is fundamentally an accretive discipline. It's, it's a discipline where you build on the, the wisdom and knowledge of the people who have gone before. And it's done by small corrections and, and, and new insights on existing insights. But what the problem with Gray was that he didn't say thank you to his sources. Yes. He made out, he, he, he basically published a book which said thank you to nobody. Mm. And on the front page where, he, where the publisher had put Gray at the top of the page, Gray on the spine, and Carter lower on the title page, it was quite clear who was the author of the words and yes. who's whose anatomy it was, but when, it, when, when Gray saw the title page, the draft title page proof, he not only wanted to cut Carter's, the lettering that Carter's name was put in, he not only wanted to cut that in half, but he deleted the professorship that he'd won in India, you know, in Bombay, he deleted yes. that from the title page. So all that was left was this half-size uh, Henry Van Dyke Carter and it, he did have to leave his MD, and he couldn't deprive yeah. him of that. It was almost as though Sorry. he deceased, wasn't it? I mean, he, he he gives the impression that he's he's almost no longer alive by the, the, yes. the accreditation that he he allows to stand. Yes, the little bit that's left, it says late demonstrator, <laughs> and that, it could mean ex-demonstrator. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean he's dead, but it no. gives this impression that there's this kind of husk of a person left yes. on the title page. Mm. Whereas, in fact, when you look inside the book, the most vibrant thing about the book are the illustrations. Mm. They're absolutely stunning, the illustrations, and they still are. And when you look at them as though they're modern, if you can try and put your mind back and look what this must have looked like, the only way, the best way, I've tried to show it in some of the illustrations, I've tried to show what contemporary textbooks looked like at the time. And the, I've, I mean, there's lots of illustrations peppered through the book, but there's several places where you can see whole pages of the old books and different images from the old books, the existing textbooks of the day. And by comparing them with things that appeared in Gray's, you can see how extraordinarily large and detailed and well-labeled Carter's yes. illustrations are and how unusual they are for, their, for the time. 
I mean, one of the things I think about why it was such a success so quickly, and that's really what set it on its survival road, you know, the road to survival even now, is that anybody looking at, if you compare one of the old textbooks from 18, the 1850s and this, Grey's Anatomy from 1858, if you put them next to each other, you can see straight away why someone would buy Grey's, because it's just self-evident. You don't need a, I mean, it doesn't need a book to tell you why they're so good. You can see it for yourself. Anybody can see it. You don't need to be a medic to see it. If one of your motivations was to redress the injustice done to Carter, one of the most poignant things in the book for me was when you talked about the people who became the subjects for the dissections, which were oh, used yeah. as the models um, yeah. by Carter, and really how impossible it is to say anything that isn't generalized about these people because they're anonymous and, and completely yeah. forgotten. That's really the heart of the book, I think, for me. Partly because of the work I did previously on the Anatomy Act and the, the derivation of corpses, where, where bodies came from. Mm. You know, people know about the history of body snatching and they've heard of Burke and Hare, the murderers. Yes. But, and some, some people probably will be aware of the Anatomy Act which gave the poor from workhouses instead of hanged murderers and was why previously the only legal source were hanged murderers and there weren't enough and that was why they were body snatching. They changed the law in 1832 to give the poor dying in workhouses and the Gray, the Gray's book, all the work for Gray's was done on the bodies of people either from the mortuary at St. George's itself or from various London workhouses where the poor were dying and they didn't have enough money for their own funeral, so they were taken for dissection. That's why that chapter, it's called The Raw Material, and it's kind of in the middle of the book, really. It's mm. the middle, it's the heart of the book. But I think what's so wonderful about Carter's illustrations is that they are not abject people. They're not shown as lumps of meat. They're not shown as undignified. They're not shown in pain. And in fact, many of the illustrations are quite noble. I say somewhere in, in there that they're, painless illustrations. It, it's the first real anatomy book for students that's published since the development of chloroform and anesthesia in general. And I think these bodies are, are you know, chloroformed bodies. They're asleep rather than dead. And they're yes. not being treated as though they're social outcasts. They're being treated as human beings. I mean, Carter's religious belief would have been the right, that's how he would have treated them anyway. But it is part of their charm is that they are not undignified. I, I think the, the dignity with which the, the whole of the body is treated in, in Greys is very significant. And I think that's from Carter. That's Carter's yes. personality. Yes. Let me ask you one final thing, Ruth, which, which is it, it was clear to me from reading the book that you share a sort of anatomist's pleasure when it comes to books. It's very, it's palpable the pleasure you take in examining <laughs> the way in which these Victorian books have been put together. And I think you say you, you actually like falling apart books because you can sort of see their workings <laughs> and you can see the, the craft and the skill that's gone into them. So yeah. tell, tell me about your, your bibliophile passion for Victorian <laughs> books. Well, I, I love books. I basically love books. And I've been a reader at the, in the reading room in the British Library mm. since I was... Um, about 18. I, I, I don't know, I just love old books. And part of the joy of, of working on old books is to see how they're made. Mm. And I, I think I, I do love human anatomy, but I also love the anatomy of the book. Mm. And it's a real joy to see in an old book, to see the sewing at the back and think who sewed it there, you know, and to see mm. the, 
little bits of newsprint and stuff that they, that they often stick along the spine and to think, oh, I wonder who glued that on, mm. you know. And one of the joys of doing this book has been to investigate the bookbinding trade of London and to meet people who know about it. Mm. Um, I've learned a terrific amount. And one of the joys of it was really, I found um, the British Library copy of Gray's book on the spleen. Mm. The spine was very loose and flapping and falling apart. And I saw that there was a cartoon lying there. Mm. And I Xeroxed the spine on a um, photocopy machine. Mm. I, I asked permission. I was allowed to do it. And I took it to a fantastic old bookshop near the old British Library by the British Museum, yeah. a firm called Jarndyce. Oh, yes. who specialise in Victorian books. And I asked them as a favour if they could think where this thing came from, if there was any way they could identify it. And they couldn't just off the top of their heads, but a little while later they came back to me and gave me the reference. Mm. So I was able to find uh. exactly where it had come from. Mm. And there's something rather marvellous about a very serious book on a, on a pretty boring organ of the body, you know, the spleen. <laughs> And, and yet, somebody who has a spleen, you know, in the old days, they, they said, oh, he's, he's, very, he's full of spleen, which yes. is bad temper. Yes. Whereas this one is actually a cartoon mm. on its spine. I mean, books have these wonderful names. I mean, the spine of a book, you know, it's like a human being. Yes. It's really interesting, the anatomical parallels between a book and a person. Mm. They're often covered in skins, you know. Yes. There's a lot of parallels. And um, I don't know, you could write a poem about it if you were a poet, but it, I have had enormous joy understanding the anatomy of the body and of the book at the same mm. time. And I hope I convey that to the reader. Ruth Richardson. The Making of Mr Gray's Anatomy is published by Oxford University Press and is out this month in paperback. You'll find it and several million other titles at blackwell.co.uk, who kindly sponsored this edition of Podularity. With their support, I plan to make this podcast weekly from now on, and there's also going to be more video interviews with authors on the Podularity website. Do send me your comments and suggestions for future programmes via that website at podularity.com. And until next time, thank you for listening, and goodbye.